welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, and this week I had the pleasure to speak with Julian Fuchsberg, one of the NUPR magazine editors, about his recent piece on New York City politics titled Leadership and Local Politics in NYC's 2021 Mayoral Election. While this election will not be on the upcoming 2020 ballot, Julian and I had an interesting discussion about the importance of this office and the relationship between New York politics and national politics. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I'm your host, Max Huber, he, him pronouns, and this week, I'm joined by one of Newper's magazine editors, Julian Fuchsberg, to discuss his recent article about the New York City mayoral election coming up in 2021. Julian, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Julian. Uh, he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm a second year political science major, uh, and I'm currently a magazine editor at Newper. Great. I'm really glad to have you on the show this week. I really enjoyed reading your piece about the upcoming New York City mayoral elections, which are, just to make sure everyone's clear listening at home, they are not part of the 2020 elections. This is a 2021 off-year election, so we still have plenty of time until ballots are cast for the next mayor of New York City. Nevertheless, it was super fascinating to learn about the candidates and the issues at play in this upcoming election in the most populated city in America. Julian, if you could give us just a little bit of context about what's coming up in this upcoming election and a little bit of the political context of New York City. So this election is taking place in New York City, which is an overwhelmingly Democratic city. 3.2 million of New York City's 4.7 million registered voters are Democrats, compared to roughly 500,000 Republicans. So it's also a city that's been shaken by a lot of political and social turmoil recently. Obviously, the coronavirus has sort of uprooted quality of life in the city, created a lot of issues for a lot of marginalized groups and a lot of, obviously, you know, no one has really been able to avoid um, the impacts of coronavirus. And beyond that, there's a lot of sort of pressing social challenges, uh, like the movement to defund the police uh, and reform the New York City Police Department. So again, because New York City is so overwhelmingly democratic, there's a tendency to elect mayors in recent years who are Democrat-leaning. But the current mayor, Bill de Blasio, actually faces some pretty uh, intense uh, unpopularity. I think his approval rating, last I checked, was hovering in the 40% range. And there was a poll of political insiders, which showed that only one in 10 of 400 political insiders, sort of, you know, leading figures in New York City politics, approved of his handling of coronavirus. So yeah, uh, it's sort of going to be interesting to see how New York City's liberal voters react to a liberal mayor that they perceive as sort of mishandling a lot of issues. Yeah, de Blasio, I know just from cursorily reading the news throughout the past few months during the pandemic, as well as previously when he was, he had this brief run for the Democratic presidency, that he's been taking a lot of fire. I think certainly part of it is warranted for how he's handled the situation. Part of it is just This is par for the course if you're a mayor during this time, as well as someone with political ambitions such as himself. Yeah. But 
something I think that's very important to point out is that de Blasio will not be on the ballot for mayor next year since he is on his way out. Correct? Yeah. Mayors in New York City are limited to two terms. So he's term limited. So there's a pretty open field for candidates running in 2021. And so to give the listeners a sense of who are the players this time around, who are some of the the leading potential candidates for the Democratic nomination for mayor? Yeah, so there's a pretty ideologically diverse field. Sort of on the one hand, you have these sort of New York City insiders, these fixtures of local politics who are sort of looking for their chance to sort of contrast themselves with de Blasio and sort of bring their vision for the city, you know, put it at the helm. So one leading candidate is Corey Johnson, uh, who's the speaker of the New York City Council. And he's sort of gained a lot of recognition in recent years for sort of a lot of feuds with de Blasio over issues like the coronavirus and defunding the police. And de Blasio sort of adopted this reputation of being a grandstander, um, sort of a lot of political theatrics where he'll sort of make lofty claims about issues or sort of have these like very hardline progressive stances on issues but hasn't necessarily followed through with the policy changes that people want to see. And Johnson has been very sort of openly critical of that and has gained a lot of praise for sort of being a check on de Blasio's power. Another potential candidate uh, who actually just officially declared his run, so he's a declared candidate, uh, is Scott Stringer, who's the city's comptroller, basically head of the city's finances. He's been a fixture of New York City politics for decades, I think almost 40 years, uh, and has served in various different capacities in the state assembly and as Manhattan borough president, uh, now as comptroller. And he's sort of seen as, as someone who understands the inner workings of the city, is sort of a competent manager, who also holds a lot of progressive views that could sort of be a, a more functioning contrast to de Blasio. So you mentioned Scott Stringer. He's a longtime public servant, fixture of New York politics. But does he have a lot of name recognition outside of political spheres and people who are really paying attention to these issues? You know, I think it's sort of hard to gauge. I I think for in New York City, especially, which is uh, a pretty educated city, I I think he's sort of one of those figures that is pretty recognized just by virtue of having uh, been working in city politics for so long. And I think he also sort of has a lot of financial backing behind him. You know, he's pretty known among donors and sort of the political inner class. So I think because of that, I don't think name recognition will be a big issue for him just because he has sort of been in the city for so long and has made himself visible as like a picture of local politics. So one other potential candidate is Sean Donovan, who worked in the Michael Bloomberg administration in New York City and also served as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under Barack Obama. Uh, And sort of his pitch for the mayorship is that he can sort of bring back this this sort of competent administrative capability that a lot of New York City constituents sort of admired um, under Michael Bloomberg, who was obviously a business leader who sort of leveraged his managerial strengths to work as the mayor. So Donovan is sort of trying to propel himself into the race with like sort of a, a similar mindset that he's sort of someone that can like bring order to a city that's sort of been thrown into disarray by the coronavirus and sort of the economic turmoil. And, you know, he isn't a particularly flashy candidate. He hasn't run for public office before, but it's possible that sort of his, you know, administrative capabilities could be appealing to voters in the election. 
And I would say the last candidate worth mentioning is Andrew Yang, who obviously gained some recognition for his 2020 presidential run uh, with a lot of bold ideas like universal basic income um, and eliminating standardized testing. Um, A lot of ideas that weren't previously considered mainstream um, that he sort of pushed into the conversation. He's a lifelong New Yorker. He hasn't officially declared his candidacy, but he sort of made some steps to boost his name recognition. He recently started a nonprofit in New York City working to provide relief for people who have been affected by the coronavirus. So he's someone that could sort of uh, pitch his bold vision for the future as something that could sort of help New York City climb out of the crises that they're in. All right. So of the people who are seriously contenders for the Democratic nomination for New York City mayor, we have these four men, Corey Johnson, Scott Stringer, Sean Donovan, and Andrew Yang, all with interesting and different backgrounds, but all very known in the realm of politics, at least in New York, or Andrew Yang, who's a national figure at this point. I know that one of the reasons that you wrote this piece, Julian, is you mentioned that you actually yourself have experience working in New York City and in local politics in New York City. Could you tell us a little bit about your experiences in New York City's politics? Yeah. So this past summer, I interned for my city council member in constituent services. Um, So sort of my responsibility uh, was to field calls and emails from constituents who were asking questions about a wide range of issues you know, people calling about local programs that they were interested in, or people that had questions about city parks and park reopenings, restaurant reopenings, mass distributions, you know, a whole host of things. And this sort of gave me an an awareness of the local issues that people are facing, um, and sort of what's at stake in city government. And, you know, there are a lot of interests at play, but there's also sort of a real opportunity to get things done, because you're serving a much smaller subset of the population. So I found it really enlightening to sort of see how local government could be a means of of affecting real change. Obviously, you can contrast that with national politics, where there's a lot of gridlock and not a lot is getting done. But sort of beyond the the more logistical element of it, it sort of gave me an insight into the political battles being waged in New York, especially in regards to the COVID response and sort of police reform. And we fielded a lot of calls and emails from constituents who were advocating for reduced or increased restrictions regarding COVID or people who are advocating for defund the police or funding the police more. So it was sort of this really interesting place where you could sort of see like, you know, who are the fixtures of local politics? Like who are the major players? What are the issues that people are looking to solve? And like, how do they want to solve them? Basically. That sounds super cool. And that's a really interesting perspective that you have being at this in constituent services, which is it's the intersection between the political world and the citizen world. So you're getting a good look at what politicians are doing as well as what the people are concerned about and dealing with on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Undoubtedly, that's given you some interesting insights into this city as it differs from other cities around the country and national politics. For sure. I mean, I think the most interesting element of it is that New York City is obviously a left-leaning city and because the city is so overwhelmingly democratic, there's sort of a lot more focus within the city council and within local politics on sort of these interpersonal conflicts rather than party conflicts. A lot of local politicians sort of have uh, a perception of being more conservative than they let on, sort of like Democrats in name only or dinos. You know, so you can sort of compare that to, to the national democratic field where 
you know, you don't really see Democratic politicians in Congress sort of voting across party lines because they're sort of trying to avoid this sort of like Dems in disarray perception. And that's on the national level. But I would say on the local level, there's definitely sort of these more nuanced conflicts that are sort of based in the way politicians are as opposed to party conflicts, if that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense that when you have a city where demographically looks pretty securely Democrat, that's where you're going to get to see a lot of nuance and tension within the Democratic Party, since there's not as much pressure, as you mentioned, to all stick together, vote in unison, and accomplish these party-wide goals, since that's that's just not the political context that they're working in. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think while obviously there's a lot of differences in the way that the Democrats operate on the local level versus the national level, um, it sort of raises this question that's sort of also been posed on the national level, which is, you know, what kind of candidate are voters looking for? Are they looking for someone that has sort of this steady vision, someone who's relatively uninteresting, you know, pretty adept, sort of a Joe Biden type, or a leader with sort of a greater diversity of experiences and greater ideological diversity. So it sort of it sort of shifts away from necessarily being a matter of policy and sort of more a matter of, of vision and character um, in that sense. I think that's definitely something that's going to come into play in the mayoral election. So from your point of view, that's kind of what you see are are the the key questions in this mayoral election are what kind of leader does this city want? Do they want that steady managerial type who won't rock the boat, but they'll keep it sailing? Or someone who's going to be a bold policy innovator, a la Andrew Yang, perhaps, Mm -hmm. who's really going to try and shake things up and get some of their key initiatives out into the public sphere? Yeah, exactly. I think that because voters sort of take issue with de Blasio's term uh, and sort of his time in office, it becomes a question of, of sort of what exactly are voters' vision for the future of the city. And I think it's particularly interesting because de Blasio ran to succeed Bloomberg in 2013, and he sort of positioned himself as, as this sort of very progressive politician, sort of like outside of the typical politician mold, sort of a la Bernie Sanders, really, with a lot of very innovative ideas, like universal pre-K, he wanted to expand healthcare in New York City, but ultimately, you know, he sort of had this sort of opportunistic focus on his future political career, which is why we saw him running for president in 2020, and voters sort of lost faith in him to actually administrate and sort of run the city and actually implement these policy ideas within New York. So I I think a lot of voters sort of became angry and upset at de Blasio for that. So the question is, are voters responding to de Blasio's policy and his ideology, or are they responding to sort of the way he conducted himself as mayor? And it sort of brings this question of, yes, like are voters willing to go to the left to sort of a de Blasio type ideology with someone that they believe will actually be able to implement these policies, or are they sort of done with with the political grandstanding uh, and they want someone who's just going to be able to take the city back on track after coronavirus and sort of help the city recover, and then maybe in the future move towards someone who is sort of more ideologically focused. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, since something that I've been thinking about is that New York City, as much as it is a city with its own local issues, it's also, it's the biggest city in America, and the mayor of New York is one of the most well-known 
probably the most well-known mayor in the country. America's mayor, I think, is sometimes what they're colloquially called. And so that puts New York at this interesting position with both its own local concerns as well as this national politics concern where things that happen in New York City are significant to people around the country because of both how much attention they get and because New York City kind of has this, this precedent of policy innovation that can then be implemented throughout the country. For sure. Um, and you sort of look at um, the scrutiny that Michael Bloomberg faced when he ran for president in 2020. Obviously, most of the criticisms were sort of directed at his record as mayor of New York City, particularly in regards to policing and sort of the stop and frisk issue, which is a tactic that he pioneered and sort of pushed to escalate during his time as mayor. So you can sort of see how his take on sort of a, a pressing national issue really sort of came into the fold regarding his sort of actions as mayor of New York City. So they're sort of intertwined the way that the mayor of New York City chooses to react to these issues and sort of in turn, sort of what the national conversation is regarding these issues. Um, so yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. And I think it sort of goes the other way too, where sort of national voter trends are also mirrored within the city. So you can also sort of look at how voters might have reacted to Trump in 2018 during the midterm elections where you saw a lot of moderate Democrats flipping seats across the country. So you could sort of wonder, after sort of having a tumultuous eight years with de Blasio, are voters looking for sort of someone who can have this steady vision? Are voters going to be sort of risk averse going into the 2021 election like they were in 2018 after Trump? And sort of with that, uh, you could also wonder that depending on whether or not Biden or Trump is elected in 2020, are voters going to be more willing to then take a risk with someone further left than Biden, or they sort of want to swing the opposite way with someone that's steady relative to Trump and de Blasio. That's, that's so interesting that New York City, in addition to itself being a key part of national politics, New York City historically as this laboratory of democracy, but also it itself responds to national politics and national sentiments in terms of the, the kind of mayor that it seeks out. Yeah. And I think particularly when you look within the Democratic Party, you know, no matter who is mayor or who is president, there's always going to be sort of this pressure to incorporate left leaning voices into the campaign and sort of into their administration. So I think ultimately, you know, obviously it's dependent on, on whose vision is at the forefront. But no matter what, there still is going to be the sort of pressure from the bottom, from the left to implement sort of more progressive policy. And I think it's interesting because you sort of saw that come into play this past year with defund the police. And just from my own personal experience, working for my city council member, we got sort of a pretty overwhelming reaction from the constituency regarding the George Ford protests and everything that was happening this summer. And there was pretty a pretty overwhelming cry to defund the police, um, which is sort of super interesting also to see how local politicians respond to sort of this bottom up pressure from the left. So I think no matter what, you'll sort of see what's happening in national politics where no matter who's at the top of the ticket, you're gonna have to see some of these left-leaning voices sort of as part of their agenda. That's definitely something I think we've all been noticing is that the left has really been making an increased political presence of themselves in, in recent years with you know notable congressmen and women, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, flipping moderate Joe Crowley's New York seat, 
Senator Ed Markey, who's his fame has been rising recently, and he recently fended off a primary challenge from Joe Kennedy III, a descendant of the, the Kennedys. And is that something that you've been getting, so that's something you've been getting a sense of in constituent services, which is that people on the left are becoming a more salient political force. Definitely, yeah. And I think I think not only are, are the left voices getting louder, but I think sort of the left has actually been pretty effective in incorporating moderate voices into their campaigns and sort of into their into their push for more progressive policy action. So I, I definitely think that's also a trend of of Democrats perhaps being increasingly susceptible to listening to these smaller factions of their base, which you also have to wonder do political independents and Republicans take issue with how Democrats are incorporating these like perceived far left ideas um, into their agendas? In New York City, Republicans can sort of leverage that in a similar way that Trump has sort of decried Biden as being a Marxist or, or a Bernie puppet or whatever it is. So I think there's also sort of an interesting parallel there with the way that moderates and independents and people on the right perceive the way that Democrats are incorporating these left-leaning ideas into their policy and agenda. It'll definitely be interesting to see how this election changes, how the dynamics change after the presidential election, to see how, how New York City, this microcosm of American politics, reacts to these, these national issues, as well as their own concerns as citizens in the city. Switching gears a little bit, so far we've focused this discussion almost entirely on the Democratic nominee for the New York City mayoral office, but what about the Republicans? What are the Republicans thinking when it comes to making a bid for this office? Yeah, so the field of Republicans is currently uh, not all that fleshed out. The leading candidates right now are the candidates worth mentioning. Uh, there's a guy named Curtis Silwa who founded the Guardian Angels and is a radio talk show host. Basically, his pitch is that, you know, there's a rising crime in New York City. He sort of credits it to the mayor stripping away police power, defunding the police. So he's sort of very hardline focused on a rising crime and sort of bringing law and order back to the city. Same is true of John Katsimatidis, who is a billionaire grocery store owner. He's made a few runs for mayor in the past, and he's similarly sort of positioning crime as, as sort of the leading issue going into 2021. Also, Andrew Giuliani, who's former mayor, Rudy Giuliani's son, a figure in the Trump administration, he's sort of making a similar play as, as sort of the law and order candidate. So there's sort of a lot of fringe candidates on the right. Um, I don't think the New York City Republican Party has sort of found the candidate that they're willing to back yet. But again, they're sort of facing this race with sort of a, a bit of, of cautious optimism. I think thinking that voters might be sort of reactionary when you see sort of all the economic turmoil, crime, all of these things going on. So I would say the Republican strategy um, sort of mirrors what Trump's strategy is, uh, which is sort of to present this focus on a supposed rise in crime and sort of present themselves as being the law and order candidates that can sort of restore some semblance of, of normalcy to a city that they see as being shaken by economic turmoil and crime. And it'll sort of be interesting to see how that plays out if that is an effective strategy. And I think sort of the first sign of whether or not that's an effective strategy is if Trump can sort of leverage all the chaos in the world to win in 2020, sort of 
positioning himself as being the candidate that's that's the only one that can sort of restore order to cities that he's using rhetoric to sort of describe as being in chaos and in disarray. So you sort of have to wonder, is that going to be an effective strategy? And is that going to be something that appeals to voters? Or can voters sort of see through the lies and see that things really aren't as bad as Republicans might paint them to be? So that's a little snapshot into what the Republicans are thinking, which is, I think it's worth pointing out that even if if this is your first time hearing about New York politics, when you hear the numbers, the ratio of Democrats to Republicans, it's easy to, and I wouldn't blame you for thinking that it's a Democrat stronghold and that Republicans are this minority dissenting party. But historically, New York City has had Republican mayors. Prior to de Blasio, there was Rudy Giuliani, noted Republican, and Michael Bloomberg, who ran as a Republican for his first two terms, I believe, before then becoming an independent. So Julian, in your estimation, you think the Republicans are really hoping to seriously contend this office, or is it to contrast themselves to the Democrats and kind of shift the conversation? I mean, it's hard to say. Obviously, I was not alive for Rudy Giuliani's term uh, in office, and I was pretty young when Michael Bloomberg was in office. But I think, if anything, Giuliani was sort of a reaction to the political circumstances of the 80s in New York City, where there was a lot of crime, far higher crime rates than there are now. And I think I think voters were probably more willing to reach across the aisle then. And then I think, if anything, Bloomberg was a response to the way that Giuliani handled 9-11 uh, and got a lot of praise for that. So Bloomberg was sort of seen as a continuation of that. But you look at sort of recent citywide elections, the most recent mayoral election in 2017, the Republican candidate only got about 25% of the vote. So I think in reality, the chances are pretty slim that a Republican wins, you know, on one hand, you could see that Republicans might sort of be wanting to push the conversation to the right and sort of highlight their perceived failings of, of Democratic mayors and Democratic cities. But on the other hand, it could just be delusion in the same way that Trump's rhetoric is kind of delusional and that the picture they're painting of the city is sort of contrived and not actually representative of what's going on. Yeah, that's a super interesting take, Julian, about the position of the Republican Party going into this into this election and some of their goals that they're hoping to accomplish. As we start to wrap up the show, I guess, what do you see are some of the key takeaways and key things to be looking out for when it comes to the New York City election for mayor in 2021? Yeah, so one thing that I sort of wanted to highlight in this piece is the way that New York City impacts national politics and also how the questions of national politics are mirrored on the local level. So I think it'll be especially interesting in the next few months as sort of, you know, there's a pretty contentious election nationally to sort of see what the results of that are um, and sort of see are voters going to be willing to sort of be more risk averse going into the 2021 mayoral election and sort of will voters sort of be willing to take a chance on someone who positions ideas that are to the left when they feel more confident uh, in their president, or whether they're wanting someone who can sort of put the city back on track after such a tumultuous year, if Trump is still in office. So I think it's sort of this like symbiotic thing where, you know, all of these things are sort of happening in connection to each other. And it, it's really dependent on sort of what the national political mood is to see what's going to play out on the local level, I think. 
I, I totally agree with you there. Thank you, Julian, for coming on this week to share your insights about New York City's politics. I, I think it's super interesting, the connection between New York politics and national politics. And after getting a chance to read your piece and s sit down with you over Zoom to chat about it, I will definitely be keeping an eye on what happens in New York City, even though I do not and have never lived in that city. It's the implications of this mayoral election are national, and it's something that I think we should all be paying some attention to. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of New Perspectives. I want to again thank Julian for joining me to discuss his experience and insights into New York City politics. Since recording this week's episode, one of the leading candidates whom we discussed, Corey Johnson, has decided to drop out of the race. In a statement to the press, Johnson said that, quote, This challenging time has led me to rethink how I can best be of service to this city, and I have come to the conclusion that this is not the right path for me. Additionally, many commentators have suggested that Johnson and the city council's handling of the Black Lives Matter protests and defunding the police has tarnished his reputation with some of the liberal wing who wanted more substantial reductions to the New York City police budget, as well as other reforms. Even in dropping out, it's clear to see how entwined the national conversation is when it comes to local politics in New York City. As always, make sure to check out NUPoliticalReview.com for more from Julian and all of the other fantastic writers. And make sure to rate and review this show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot. We have also expanded the New Perspectives team, so look forward to hearing from our two new producers, Ariana Bennett and Brian Grady. We're ecstatic to have them on the team and for all of the ways that they will help to improve this show in the coming episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day.